But today we're going to have Trini Kuznerik on the show today. Um, she's NBC from NBC Sports, Sports right. Boston, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to meet her in a few, but um, we wanted to kind of check in like we do. Um, Chris, how are you? Well, <laughs> I am battling anxiety, like out of control. Um, you know, I always talk about how you can uh, derail or shut off your brain. And um, it's funny. I have this uh, this white noise, constant sound in my ears. It's it's the weirdest thing, you know, so I'll put music on and I can't hear it. But as soon as I turn the music off, it's that it's just that white noise. It's I can't explain it. And um, my heart or my chest feels like it's just a constant, you know, on the treadmill, boom, boom, boom. So I'm trying to find ways to um, deescalate myself, I guess you could say, but it's hard. Um, it's really hard. But other than that, I'm OK. You're doing Uh-oh. the map right now, so that's always a good time, right? Yes, sir. How are you guys doing? I'm, Andy? I'm okay. I um you know it's funny, I uh I got out of the house a little bit yesterday, went to see my friend. I felt like I was cheating again. But um I wore my mask and uh we actually were doing some business, so it was actually it was cool. But I um I don't know. I go back and forth. Daytime is good nighttime not good but he, but here's the thing guys ladies i'm i'm confused is this over because we're talking about it being over but yet you have 34,000 people dying so are we over are we blowing it off i don't think we're right? even close right not even close I, I know but it feels like we're kind of like you know oh we're going to because we have this way in society i think of just moving on you know, like we're done. We're over it. Don't worry about washing your hands. Life is good. We're done. Come give me a hug. <laughs> yeah. it's Yeah. Right. Let's do handshakes and bro hugs and stuff like that. But it, it just seems like. Am I supposed to be in home? Am, am I supposed to be at home? Like the, it's too political. This thing has gotten wicked per, political, mm-hmm. I think. Did In anybody see the, the Michigan uh, governor speaking this morning? Like Michigan is protesting this whole thing because of how I saw they, that. Yeah. And she was talking about that. She has something like three million. I don't know. I, don't quote me on my number. Three million people that she's responsible for that she governs over and that she's trying to make the best decisions. And, you know, because four police officers, firefighters, chiefs, whatever, out of her whole air, you know, her whole state you know, decided to say that she's out of her mind because of the way that everything's getting shut down and stuff. But then the next thing that they talked about, and now I know why I have anxiety, is that uh, the meat the meat processing companies, right. two of them, two of the major ones, Tyson and the sausage one. <laughs> Jimmy Dean? Uh, I'm going to put my sausage picture up. Yeah. That sounds horrible, but I'm going to put my sausage picture up. <laughs> oh, no, please don't put not the sausage picture. <laughs> All right, but no, those, those two meatpacking companies have had to shut down because they've had deaths and they are infested with corona. So what's going to happen now is we're going to have a shortage. They've had to, the chicken people, They've had to kill chickens because they don't have the staff 
to process the chickens. chickens. Don't kill chickens. Yeah. I mean, and the vegetables and the fruits, the same thing. Right. So, and they said this could carry on. Like we might not see it like right here, right now. And it'll be like three or four weeks that the grocery stores are. So we're going to all go into a a flipping tailspin again. People are going to. We're going to go. We're going to lose our minds. It's so irresponsible to. To, to let people think we're out of the woods right now. Honest to God, because I think people are going to get killed. And we don't want know, bedlam. I, we don't want. <laughs> yeah, I right, like, Andy. I, I'm a Springsteen fan, right? And, and one of the albums in um, was like an anthology. Bruce was doing a cover on a, uh, a song called War. And he does his intro and he says, you know what? Having blind faith in your leaders will get you killed. So, Isn't that the truth? Though? Yeah, that's what he said. And this was in 1985, and it was obviously about that. Now, I got one more. I got a funny thing to say, and we should talk about that article quick before we get to trending. A good friend of mine, he loves Donald Trump. He doesn't love Donald Trump. He loved the idea of Trump when he was doing The Apprentice and things like that. So he bought a doll, a Donald Trump doll. Mm-hmm. So when he pressed it, this was years ago. And when you press it, it says you're fired, right? If you press it again, it says, I avoid shaking hands with people at all times. <laughs> what? That's, That's crazy. I know. <laughs> anyway, I guess, he, he, you know, this, I avoid shaking hands with people. I don't know. <laughs> you, 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 came, you came up with a cool article. I did. Yeah, no, I, I, I ran across this when I was doing some other research. Um, and by the way, if I don't chime in on too much up to the minute stuff on the news, I've taken a new stance that I refuse to watch the pandemonium and the chaos just to keep my head above water. Because if I get sucked into that, forget about it. I'll fail tailspin. So right. I just kind of shut it off. Hold on. Before we go any further, Kimberly, how are you? Yeah. Oh, thank you. Rude. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's what I was kind of, yeah, that's what I was kind of saying. I'm, I'm good because I think I have eliminated the, the, all that negativity because it doesn't take much. You turn it on and you can't avoid it. So you, so I just keep it off and go to music. So I've been, you know, dancing around the house and have my music on and just trying to stay as upbeat as possible. Facetiming friends, um, doing research in positive books. You know, pulling, dusting off my old self help care books and whatever. And and it's um, I can see a difference. You know, I've made a concerted effort to do that, and I can feel the difference in my demeanor, in my anxiety level, in my fear level and everything. So I, I may be sticking my head in the sand, but I'm uh You're staying positive. You're trying yeah. to stay positive. To stay I mean, that's positive. really all, all you can do. I mean, the news, I watch it in the afternoon. Right. But I'm fascinated by it. I'm so fascinated by it. I can't get enough of it. It's so crazy. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> what like, is fascinating about What's wrong about- with you? Yeah, what is you what? What is that? No, I'm just so intrigued by the whole thing. It's just so weird to me that we. Did took anybody a, watch that Disney sing along last night? Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. No, I missed that one. That. <laughs> um, all right. So this article. The article site. Yeah, cover okay. the article real quick before we. <laughs> I'm sorry to be bossy. I'm sorry I'm being bossy again. We love you, Andy. All right. um, Thank you. So I love you too. basically, so basically, <laughs> what it's saying is that is that with the opioid crisis was has been basically put on hold um, for this whole pandemic, which is true. Yeah. That that it is going to be is going to rage out of control once this thing slows down and, and, and is over. 
Um, suicide rates are going to go up. And, and I think, I mean, we can, t- we know that from past experience, people, you know, jump to their deaths after losing all their money. This thing is, it's going to ramp up the opioid crisis, the um, overdoses, the um, addiction, everything. People are, want to self-medicate in, during this time and they don't have connection. It's a key component of recovery is to have that connection with people. And that's what this article is talking about. It's, it, it's, it's just being exacerbated by this thing. And it's, it's going to take a while before we can actually um, get back to, to normal, to, to back to getting the numbers to come down, not go up. You know, yeah. it's, it's very sad. You know what, though? You know, my thought, here's my thought, my take on this. I'm very commentary. I'm being very, uh, um, have a lot of comments there today. And you know, <laughs> and you know what, you know what I, I think about, so right now it's like, if you told me somebody was overdosing when all this, you know, 34,000 people are dying, you're right. It does. I think it does take the back burner for the t- period of time. Once it's over, like you said, once we get to a point where things start to, to wind down, then that's the byproduct of this whole thing. So the problem is still there. It's just, you know, we're putting it at the back. It's on the back burner right now. So do you know what this is kind of like? It's two things. First of all, you're talking about like how everything's on the back burner. Again, yesterday, uh, they were interviewing this woman. I don't know where she was from, but she hadn't gotten a stimulus check. She was uneligible for, uh, uh, or she hadn't received her unemployment benefits. And she basically was down to her last dollar, right? And she was a diabetic. And she was showing her her last vial of insulin. And it, it didn't have that much. And she couldn't afford it because she had no money and insurance wasn't, you know, they weren't giving her a freebie, which is completely crazy. But what was even more scary is what she said. She goes, I'm going to go into diabetic ketosis. I think, is that what it's called? Yeah. 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 And I'm going to have to go to a hospital and that's what scares. And I'm going to catch Corona because I'm going to go to the hospital. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm going to die. Yeah. It's like, so all we think about all these things. And of course, addiction and suicide and mental health is very on our hearts and on our forefront because that's who we are. But there's so many levels of this that haven't even unfolded that we haven't even begun to even scratch the surface of, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's overwhelming. It really is overwhelming. 22 million Americans are, are unemployed. More than that now. I don't know well, what today's It's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. Mental health issues and uh, addiction and um, suicides. I mean, it's not going to be pretty. And even if it were back to normal, the economy's back to normal, do we really think that 17, 22 million people are going to get rehired that quickly? Oh. Right? So It's the scary part. Yeah. So... So it's going to be a long haul. And, you know, I even think the sports world, which our next guest, I, I, I wanted to make a quick comment on this. So the sports world is going to be totally different because of, of the social distancing, you know, being in large crowds. So I'm sure Trenny can speak to this probably a little, you know, I'm sure she has a take. So 
we should introduce our absolutely Andy, our take first, it away. All right, all right, thank you. Um, so let's welcome. We just see your picture right now, but oh, do you, do you guys want video? I can give you. This isn't going to be video put anywhere, is it? It's, no, this is just audio, right? You can see me though. Okay, good. Oh, no, okay, it, it, oh, no, we're, we're no, we're going to be on Foxborough cable. We're live. Oh, well, that's that great. Okay? I wish I would have known that I would have put makeup on. I would have put my light on. I thought this was a podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I'll at least take those off. So I have no makeup on. I, I haven't washed I, my hair since Monday. You're beautiful. You're, you're beautiful. beautiful. Right. So, I, took you, I, I threw a curveball at you. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. I'm in Milwaukee right now, though, for you. No, you're not. I can see your green screen. <laughs> I know, but I got, a, I got a Brewer's hat on. I do. do. I'm like so fun? glad they went back to the old ball and glove logo. It's the best. The but you know, they actually changed it a little, Trini, because they actually put, you know how in the back in the day, they used to have a um, just a little squiggly line. In the, with, I mean, it took me a so I was like in my 20s to realize it was the ball and glove, like that that's what it was. I, just, I know. That was I thought M&D. it was a bear paw. <laughs> It's the best hat ever. I it ordered is, it. It is one of the best sports logos out there. Couldn't it find might be it. The best sports logo. It, 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 Trini, I was actually going to put. I have one more thing for you. Um, actually, I'll find it. But I had um, Clement Sausage House too. Oh, uh, I'm, I'm prepared. I, do, I prepared. I, I All do right. love a good. I do love a good. The old school house, though. The one like the old chalet. Like exactly. An old county stadium that oh. is. That's Benny awesome. Brewer. You know, I've run in the sausage race, right? Have you? Twice. <laughs> the sausage race is great. You have... Um... Can you name them all? No, I can't even get close. What? It's simple. It's He's the, Jewish. It's the bratwurst. <laughs> it's the bratwurst. Okay. The Italian, the Polish, the chorizo. And which one am I forgetting? Oh, the hot dog. Duh. The hot dog. There duh. you go. Do you, do you, who was the guy from the Pirates who actually whacked them? Um, we just, I think it was Russell Simon. We there you literally go. just it, talked about this. I don't, there's something happened in sports, like I don't, a few months ago or something. And I, and we talked about ridiculous lawsuits and like, remember the time that that pirate hit the po- the running spacing sausage. She went on like all of the new shows and she was like, Oh no, it's not a big deal. Oh, <laughs> I, I just fell and scraped my knee. <laughs> she had this like total Wisconsin accent. It was amazing. Oh, sure. Real good. Oh yeah. I was fine. And he gave me a real nice trip, real nice trip <laughs> on a, to Curacao where he's from and it's everyone's making a big deal oh no it's fine oh no oh no <laughs> so you actually covered the brewers it for did. a period of time you are now the host and longtime host of Arbella early edition on NBC yes. sports you've covered everything from the Super Bowl PGA you've covered Olympic curling Oh, I love curling. Oh, isn't curling great? And the it's guys amazing. are so nice. And the ladies are so nice. I remember that the last time we spoke, you were on my old show, um, Cross Jack with Kevin Stevens. And you are an active mental health advocate. And you've actually organized a, a very cool mental health forum last year with, um, in 2018, with uh, Brad Stevens and Congressman Joe Kennedy. And um, you had legends from around the sports world including Shamiqua Holdsclaw, who actually flew in from L.A. Yeah, yeah, we brought her in for it. It was great. And and so being an incredible advocate for it, how, how did you get involved with mental health? Like, how did it start for you? Um, for me, it was personal. Um, I have dealt with anxiety and depression since I was a kid. 
Um, when I was a, a kid, I'm 42. I'll be 43. And what's today? 17 and 13 days. Yeah. Yay, quarantine birthday. <laughs> We're um, quarantining. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a Zoom party. I, uh, I'm going to be 50. We're going to, I'm going to have to do one. Yeah. Oh, you can do a oh, drive by. Oh, no, a milestone birthday in quarantine. How, how bad does that suck? That is actually sad. A friend of mine turned 40 yesterday and she had porch awful. wine. She had it's porch awful. Yeah, but her awful. friend, you know what? Her best friend from college came and they had porch wine and they stayed six feet apart and it was lovely. It's so. lovely. So it'll be good. Make do, yes. We'll make it work. Anyway, sorry um, to catch up. So yeah, so you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, um, we didn't have the vocabulary that we do now, right? You know, now I think parents and kids and doctors, thankfully, are much more in tune to what kids need, what they're going through. Um, that anxiety and depression is a chemical thing. It's not a pick yourself up off the floor, pull yourself up from your bootstraps. You're just, you know, you're just, you're just not mentally tough enough to get through this tough time. You just gotta, you just gotta put a smile on your face and get out there. People are realizing, okay, this is an imbalance in your brain. Um, how can we fix this? What can we do? Is there trauma there? Is there a family history? And so now there's a name for, but when I was a kid, there wasn't, it was, oh, Trenny gets really violently ill when she goes away from home. She gets really homesick. Right. Sometimes she goes into these like teenage moods and doesn't want to leave her bedroom, but she'll snap out of it. She'll be fine. And I always did snap out of it. Right. Also, when I was a young kid growing up, like you would never, even like now, you would never know that I struggle with anxiety or still Right, because you can flip a switch. It's not that I can flip a switch. It's that, you know, I think from the outside, you don't see what happens. No matter how much access we have to people, you don't see what happens behind closed doors. Mm. So if you see me on television and I'm peppy and I'm interacting with Gary and Curran and Phil and we're having a good time and then I go home and I cry for four hours, no one knows that I go home and cry for four hours. That happens very, very rarely now. Um, But, you know, this, this, struggle lasted. And when I got out of college and and into my first job, I finally got into therapy and started taking medication and started to feel better. But I still never talked about it with Mm -hmm. anyone because what do you tell people? Hi, I'm trending. I'm depressed. (laughs) I have depression and anxiety. Right. I don't feel like going out today. I'm laying on my couch and I haven't left my house. People would think, you know, for lack of a better word, that you're nuts, right? Uh Uh Um, So you don't tell anyone. And then in 2012, um, you're also worried, by the way, I heard you guys talking about unemployment and insurance and jobs. You know, you're worried that somebody isn't going to hire you or if they do an insurance company is going to reject you, which is why, mm-hmm. you know, pre preexisting conditions is such a big deal. Yep. Um, and so I, um, in 2012, there was a, um, a local writer in Milwaukee. I was actually at Miller park. Yeah. Where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. in the press box. It was May of 2012. Um, and he was working on just like a regular feature on me. Like he was going to just do like a local girl, you know, goes to New York, works for major league baseball network, comes home, is politically active. She's mouthy and she does all these other things. And wow, isn't she cool? Right. Um, and then junior Seau died. Um, right. The longtime chargers, a little bit of time with the Patriots linebacker. Um, shot himself in the chest to preserve his brain. And I don't know why that suicide more than anything else I, you know, we had ever come across in sports hit me. Um, but it did. And immediately, as soon as that happened in the press box, I messaged this reporter and I said, I don't want to do some stupid fluff story on how I climbed, you know, um, a mountain and went to India. Right. But I want to talk about my mental health. And this has been a struggle for me my whole life. 
and we cannot keep having people dying and people aren't talking about it. So maybe if someone who doesn't seem like they would have depression or anxiety talks about it, then maybe, you know, it helps someone else. And I did it and we wrote a whole article about it and, or he did, not, not me, but right. um, the response was overwhelming. And then from there, it's just sort of ticked up. Like the more I talk about it, the more opportunities I get to talk about it, the more opportunities I get to work with local government to change legislation, to work on PSAs. Um, and I think finally, thankfully, uh, we're getting to a point where it's no longer in the shadows. Right. Enough people have been affected by it and enough big name people have talked about what they've gone through that it's becoming a point of emphasis for local and national gov uh, governments to, to really address and uh, treat as a, as, as a medical problem, right. not as some sort of secret societal issue that no one wants to talk about. Right. I agree, I agree with you, except that I really believe that it's uh, about the where you are, where you live is how it's treated. You 100%. know, like in Massachusetts, mental health has been at the back of the bus for a very long time. When you have somebody that suffers that's dual diagnosis with addiction and, uh, you know, bipolar or depression and anxiety, whatever it might be, getting them to get that equal treatment is virtually impossible. And if they have state insurance, it's even more impossible because there's just, there's not anybody that's doing the duel. And there's, if they are, there's a line out the door and you're waiting, you know, three, six, eight months to get an appointment with a therapist that accepts your insurance. You know, I think there needs to be more conversation. There needs to be a higher emphasis that everybody should be able to get have so, access to supportive services. So I do know this. Um, I just worked uh, this past winter on uh, the ABC bill with the state legislature in Massachusetts, which has um, had a huge behavioral health component. Um, I do know that Senate President Karen Spilka, Cynthia Friedman, and Julian Sear um, really spearheaded this. She's our guest on them, Monday. The three of them are yeah, really yeah. passionate about this. Yeah. Um, and and they, they're not just passionate about it, they're doing something about it. Mm -hmm. And I know that they understand that this bill doesn't, obviously, it's not a panacea. It doesn't cure all the ills. Um, but I do know that like the, I went to a, to a couple of meetings with them. Um, and one of the biggest things that kept coming up was, and I kept saying to them, yeah, it, it's, it's great if you push insurances, like they've don't, they've donated, they've set aside a certain amount of money, I think $30 million, um, to help aid mental health services so that they can help more people that you have, if you have those dual diagnoses, you're not sent to all these different places, you're not running around, but they also recognize that there's just not enough providers. And part of that is that one doesn't pay very well, your reimbursement, right. the paperwork, and they're addressing that as well. Like, they, they're trying to, I think, relax some of that. And you can talk to the, who was your guest on, on Monday? On Wednesday, Cindy Friedman. Cindy Friedman. So yeah. she, and she can speak probably a lot better to this than I can, the actual nuts and bolts of it. But I do know that they're, they're trying to make incentivize becoming a mental health provider, but also make it easier, the, the paperwork. Um, and also, um, you know, the, the hoops you have to jump through in order to take on patients at a certain time. Right. So I know that they recognize it. It's just, I, I don't think I understood the, 
the, just the, the depths of the bureaucracy of all of it until I actually was in it. I mean, the, the mental health bill, I took it. It was this thick. No way. This, and it was, it was a full health bill, right? It right. wasn't just a mental health bill, but the, 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 the new healthcare bill that this, that the Massachusetts state Senate passed was like 170 some pages. And it was this thick. And I took it to one of my local favorite local restaurants. And I sat with a glass of wine one night and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm reading this because I want to fully understand what we're talking about. And it's, it's dense and it's, it's difficult. It's, I can't, the amount of work that goes in to change, have to change anything and, and get, get, um, forward movement in care and legislative change and policy change is so much more complicated than I ever could wrap my brain around until I actually was in it. Not to make excuses for them because it needs to happen. And unfortunately, you know, I think some things we're also going to move forward in terms of um, public outreach this, yep. this spring. That's what and we then talked COVID, about. And then yep. COVID-19 happens. So all of these sort of headways that were made, you know, within state governments now have been pulled back because those resources now have to go to making sure that people, people are dying. Food on their table. Right. And no. people can put food on their table. People who have lost jobs. So it's, it's, it's really unfortunate, but I do really truly believe in the, the, the people that we have in office here, that they are, they are passionate and it's a personal struggle for them as well. And it's personal to them and they want to see something and, done. And they get it. And, you know, it's funny to that point. I think I brought this up before I take medication. And it for a um, something that um, for mood. And when I my therapist is like, well, you should talk about it. You know, tell me, you know, I want to treat this. So I, I say it, she gives me medicine. I go to get a life insurance policy, not covered because it was a pre-existing condition. And there was, um, they put a, um, they wouldn't cover me because they said, oh, I have, you know, a mood thing going on. Right. And because, I'm like. Because so, that puts you probably, I would assume in their policy as a, as a risk for suicide, right? Correct. So they don't want to cover that in their policy. They don't want to. It's, it's unbelievable. So you want me to speak about it. You want me to talk about it. You want me to bring it up. And, but yeah, when I do, then I get penalized. So hopefully. And I'd be curious, Andrew, like, is that policy the same if, you know, my coworker had um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? If no. he tries to go and get a, a life insurance policy because he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, would he not be able to get it? Or is it specific to? That's a great point. I don't know. I don't know. The pre pre it could be so I I didn't do it now, you know my wife has it but you know so so I think those are the things you know as far as ending the stigma and treating this and hopefully the bill I mean I know Cindy is just we're on a first name basis Cindy Cindy is Cindy's awesome she's so, great she's she, great she's, you know, she's fire yeah she's great and she she takes no 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 guff from anybody um so my question to you is from the sports angle do you see why is it it seems like there is mental health issues in sports as far as you know talked about junior sale i was just reading last night um about mike flanagan right from uh, manchester new hampshire he was a great pitcher for the orioles and he committed suicide and you know he was retired he was in upper management for the orioles and he committed suicide in your opinion why do you think that there's athletes maybe struggle with this and do you see that sports would actually um, 
you know, the more athletes that come out talking about it, you know, would it make more of an impact? Um, I mean, I think athletes struggle with it because everyone does, right? Right. I think it's that <laughs> mental health issues are a great equalizer. It doesn't, nothing makes me more angry um, than when someone like a Michael Phelps or a Kevin Love um, comes out and talks about their their personal struggle, or sadly, we lose someone who dies by suicide, who is an actor or an athlete. And so, and people say, well, what do they have to be depressed about? They have all the money in the yes. world. They're famous. Robin Williams. Because you don't oh, know that the was people. exactly who I was yeah. thinking. Of. Right. Robin Williams. Like or I, Anthony Bourdain or Kate Spade or right. yeah. Yeah, Kate Spade. That's right. Yeah. It was, you know, they have all the money. They have all the success. You know, I'm working this job at home and I'm fine and I make it. it and that, so to me, the reason's athletes have it is because, you know, one in four people suffer from a mental health issue. Right. And if you go around, you know, I'm terrible at math, but if you go around in a baseball clubhouse, you know, one in four on a 25 man roster, how many people is that? Right. You know, five, right. six, not only, I, like, that's terrible. Five. I can't even do that. Five, right. I'm like, yeah. I think it's five. <laughs> 47 <laughs> million. For, yeah. How are you coping? Five guys, you know, most likely, in that room are dealing with something. And I do think that sports and high, high pressure, um, positions, um, do exacerbate things as well. Right. So if I struggle with, you know, performance anxiety, right. um, And you have to perform in front of a bunch of people, um, and then you fail and then the backlash is so public. It's different than going into a presentation and, you know, maybe the presentation doesn't go well. You don't all of a sudden turn on your computer and then have people telling you to kill yourself because you blew a save in the ninth inning. Um, right. so do you think that social media um, has maybe made that worse? I th- also just think, you know, certain people are drawn to, to certain if you're, you know, to be a high level athlete, you have to have a level of dedication to your craft mm-hmm. that goes a little bit above and beyond the average person. So you're, I think, naturally an overachiever. Maybe you're naturally a people pleaser. So maybe some of your characteristics in those high performing, um, highly visible uh, career paths tend to maybe attract people who are maybe more a little more predisposed to having symptoms or personality traits that lead them that you know lend themselves to mental health issues. Yeah. So, you know, go ahead. So since you're coming out, so to speak, uh in your open and your honestness, what has changed? Um mostly positive, honestly. Um I feel like it has allowed me to talk openly. Like, you know, I haven't had a major depressive episode in probably five years. Yeah, I think five years. Um, but sometimes when I'm training for a marathon during the winter, like I was this year, I was I was supposed to run Boston on Monday. Oh, wow. I know. And it's going to be like perfect weather. I'm like, damn you. I know. Um, yeah. But sometimes when I get into that training mode and I'm a little isolated from people and I'm just like constantly in this like go, 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 go. Like now everyone is isolated. So it's 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 almost easier to manage. It's like a snow day. It's, it's like, like a, a, it's like great. It's like this is an endless snow day that everyone everyone is miserable together. Exactly. Right. But when you're when I was training alone, sometimes I would get into this mode where I like I wouldn't go out a lot. I wouldn't do things. So it was like, no, I have to get up and do this. And that and then the just the the, the, the trauma on my body, like physically pushing my body to that point week in and week out can sometimes exacerbate, exacerbate my symptoms. 
Um, so I'll find myself like this, this year I found myself calling my friend Tiffany and saying, Tiff, I'm in a funk. And like, it's not like a full on like depression, but I'm just like laying on my couch, watching TV, not wanting to go anywhere, not wanting to do anything. Like I need to, and she's like, you need to get out of town. Like you need to skip one week of training, like, or go do it somewhere else. Book yourself a flight, go somewhere warm. And at first I was like, no, I, I don't need that. I'll be fine. I don't have time I'm making all these excuses. And then the next morning I woke up and I was like, no. And I went to Florida the next week. This is right before we had to mm-hmm. shut everything mm-hmm. down. Yeah. But it was a game changer for me because I got out of the cold. I got out of the snow. My shoulders weren't like this anymore. But 10 years ago, I never would have been able to say that to someone. I would have just pushed through and been miserable and not been able to openly talk to someone about it. So that's one thing. I also think that it's opened up a lot in my family, Um, Mm -hmm. my sister, my brother, some of my cousins, um, even aunts and uncles, they will be really open with me and talk about it. And they'll ask me how, and, and people will ask how I'm feeling and genuinely want to know and want to help. Um, whereas I think that's what I think is the beauty of talking about it publicly is that it makes everyone else around you feel comfortable enough to say, wow, I felt like that too. Vulnerability. Yeah. The vulnerability. Like a Brene Brown stuff where you, yes. you're actually putting it out there. And, and I actually think you, actually develop better relationships with people as a result. Yeah, it's more, they're more authentic, right? Right. It's not this, you don't put this shield up in front of you, this wall of, oh, you know, because I, again, I, I think if on the outside you look like you're fine and someone on the inside is struggling, they look at you and they think, oh, she has it all together and I'm just sitting at home crying on my couch. But if you find out that the person that you turn on every night and watch on television sometimes, you know, or the person who's dribbling the basketball or, you know, throwing a baseball comes home and doesn't want to leave the house for four days. And you, you say, Oh, I felt like that before too. I think it just makes it feel like, okay, I'm not in this alone, right? Like it's not just me. There are other people who are going through this. And if that person's going through it, then maybe somebody that I know is as well. I do know that people still, you know, depending on your, where you were raised, um, you know, your, your ethnic background, your religious background. There are so many factors, socioeconomics, like where you live in the country. Right. Let's be honest. If you're from Wisconsin, it's probably hard to talk about that in Wisconsin or Um, at the time. Like, I mean, you know, we're a little backwards. We're not super backwards. The nicest people in the world are from Wisconsin. It depends on where you're from. I think like I grew up pretty close to a major city of Milwaukee as a kind of between Milwaukee and Chicago tends to lean a little more progressive and forward thinking. But for someone who's living in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, where you don't even have like, what, let's say you are a farmer in Wisconsin right now, and you're really dealing with depression and anxiety, and you're losing money, and you don't know where your future is coming from. I can telehealth my, you know, my therapist if I need it. And that seems so simple and obvious to me. And anyone who's had a therapist, it's, you know, you're living, living in the city and you put in therapists in sure. any city, like a thousand of them come up. But if you're living in middle in the middle of nowhere, Massachusetts or the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, and you search therapists and there isn't someone for 70 miles away, it doesn't even dawn on you to talk about it or think about it or address those issues. Like our rural communities are in desperate need. I mean, this is where people are dying. Right. Right. In rural states and rural and rural areas of, of larger cities or, or larger states. Um and there's a stigma there to it. I think there is a, there's a different attitude towards it than there right. is, say, if you live in a very progressive Boston or New York City or even a Milwaukee or Chicago or Minneapolis. Right on the bro side. Now, what do you um, 
think right now, as far as I, I guess I'm going to shift gears for a second, as far as talking about sports with the COVID, the COVID, the COVID 20, I heard, you know, you gain, people are gaining weight because it's the COVID 20 or the COVID 19. Um, what do you think is going to happen as far as the long-term repercussions? Like, um, you know, once things get back to normal, do you see the sports world changing on any level? Oh my God, it's going to have to, right? Uh, right. I mean, they're saying, I was just listening to um, NPR this morning and, you know, that they've sort of detailed this three-step plan, I think. And the first step of the plan is that, you know, maybe within a couple of weeks, even if cities are still locked down, um, the first step to normalcy is maybe if you're healthy, you have no underlying conditions, you're not high risk, you can go hang out with three or four people. You can go to someone's house. You can go, you know, do something and be around at least 10 people. And then the next thing is 50 people. And then the next thing is 200 people. But like the last thing that's going to come back are concerts and sporting events in large scale where you have tons of people in a small confined space, right? Right. The so sports is going to have to change and it's going to have to adapt. And I know it's not ideal to play a football game or a basketball game. I mean, baseball, let's be honest. Like if you live in Baltimore, you're playing in front of no one anyway. So right. <laughs> it won't be that different. Pretty much, it, right? But, the worst. The worst. But, you know, I think that you're going to have to, things are going to have to change. Um, right. Because economically, and people say, oh, well, what's, you know, if you don't bring back fans, then what's the point of bringing back sports? Because you're not employing people anyway. But you are because you're still employing people from all of those teams um, which might in turn, you still have the television production, you have people watching it on TV, right. but maybe in turn, then you can also pay those hourly or like, you know, sort of contract employees that come in and work for you. Maybe you can give them a small stipend or give them what they would have made if the arena or the ballpark was open. So I am someone who thinks that if you can get sports back, even without fans, I think it would be a huge emotional lift for the country, but also an economic lift because it does have a ripple effect. Um, yeah, you can only do it. I mean, the, the sticking point for all of this, from what I understand, is that we just, just still don't have enough testing. Like we're not testing at the rate per capita of other developed nations. Um, and until we can do that, I don't think anything can come back. Right. Uh, I, but uh, I, I don't know if we'll see. I don't know if we'll see fifty thousand people in Foxborough. It's this like year. a petri dish, right? Yeah. You know, and and I don't know. I mean, I I don't know enough about diseases. Like, is it? safer if you're outside like would it be less of a threat if you're outside next to somebody is it you know they they seem to not think that warm weather makes any difference you know i don't know i'm supposed to run you know the marathon on september 14th i'm starting to wonder is that even going to happen or can i, I sponsor you to wait till next year can i sponsor you so, do i need a sponsor yeah can i sponsor are you running for a charity no this is i and this is like when i always feel like such a jerk it's like when someone asks where you went to college and you're like harvard i no, I did, I'm not running for charity. I qualify. Okay. All right. Next and time. I always feel like such a jerk when I say it. I should be proud of it. Like I worked really hard and I got a qualifying time and I earned it, but I always feel like, where'd you go to college? And you're like, Harvard. It's like, how'd you get in the marathon? Who are you running for? I didn't. I qualified. <laughs> you're, you're, um, um, but thank and, you. If I was running for a charity, I would totally take your money. I would do it. Um, the, the thing, here's my take on this. Right. And, and, Everybody, I was having, I have this discussion with friends all the time because I think I'm actually a maven, but I'm not really a maven of sports. But what I, what the discussion I said was, I think football is going to be fine with TV, right? I think. Oh, yeah. That those deals are so huge. Huge. They're good. They're good. Baseball is going to struggle. Experience actually in a stadium, most stadiums is terrible anyway. I'd rather watch it on TV. Exactly. Right. Chris is doing. 
baseball, I think, could actually struggle because their whole baseball is not a made for TV. No, but I do think like this is I, I don't know. I'm seeing so many of my friends who own small businesses who are using this as an opportunity to totally change how they do business, right? How can we reach more people? How can I grow my brand? I have a friend who owns a running studio and she's doing all of these like, you know, you can pop in your headphones and go for a run and she'll coach you while you're on your run and it's recorded. Like how amazing is that? Right. And so she's finding other ways to monetize your business. I look at a sport like baseball and I think, man, you are losing young viewers. Like you're hemorrhaging them right now. Change your game. Yeah. Use this as an opportunity to mic players up. You can't have fans in the stands. So do something radical. Do something Improve the experience. Right. Improve the experience for everyone. And maybe in the end, this short-term loss becomes a long-term game. I think it's all about like just changing your mindset of how you're going to approach something. Reframing. And, yeah. and so if somebody if wants- If everyone was in therapy, they would learn how to reframe things. Reframe. You know? See? And, there you go. God. So, you know, one of the things, so I have uh, five grandchildren- and my oldest plays soccer uh, for the town. And then she also plays on our club team. And she decided to take lacrosse up this year. Well, obviously, we're not doing yeah. anything. But what the, the coaches are doing is they're creating challenges for the kids to do at home. And both her uh, lacrosse and field hockey, I mean, uh, soccer, did this um, TikTok challenge where they go through the whole, every team member and they have to like juggle the ball and then they kick the ball and it goes to the next person. And they, Oh, that's cool. It's so cute. Yeah. And it's like, it's, you know, it got her re-excited. I mean, ultimately there's going to be no season this year. We've all come yeah. to that, you know, and my daughter who is a senior at Southern New Hampshire was supposed to redshirt next year. And Southern New Hampshire is not going to be opening until January. So you know, oh, wow. They've already announced that. Yeah. New Hampshire announced that they're not going back to school too. So that, I mean, that makes sense for this year. I'm surprised all the way into January. Wow. Well, they are, uh, Southern New Hampshire's, uh, gymnasiums are COVID. Uh, they've created COVID, uh, oh, like, like, like extension centers or yes. places, like testing and stuff or. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm assuming that they're just not taking any risks. So, you know, on the, the flip side of the, the anxiety and depression and everything, you know, she's a senior. She's busted her oh, ass wow. all these years, and now it's there's nothing. There's, like, no graduation. And there's this big campaign on Facebook that everybody's doing. Yeah, um, like their senior pictures. Yeah. And yeah. so she posted an article today, and I actually reposted it, that it's actually more upsetting to the kids that are graduating, seeing their family, their, their parents or whoever. Oh, cause they had that experience. Exactly. exactly. Oh, God, not, I was just thinking, oh, maybe I'll have my mom send me a picture, but now I won't. Cause that maybe that'll just like hurt. Yeah. Kids. It just, it, it puts them Did in. She say what would help? Um, like, what would empathy, help? empathy. That's, that was the big thing in this article is empathy. And honestly, I don't even know how to speak to it because, because, like we've never, you know, I mean, this is my youngest. This is the baby. This was the last one to graduate from college and there's no anything. And they're like, yeah, you know, you can have a party once COVID's over, but it's just not the same. It's not the same as walking. It's not the same as that last week of school and being there with your, I mean, there's something really special about your last week is whether you're a senior in high school or a senior in college. 
um, of those like final weeks of really having that time with the people that you built. I mean, some of my best friends are, you know, now from college. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Not that I don't, I still have some really close friends from high school, but my, the brunt of my really, really close girlfriends are from college. Yep. It's hard for breaks most for those kids. Yeah. It's really, really hard. College kids who even high school, you still have college. Like you'll still have that experience, but there's something special about high school and not everybody goes to college too. Right. So if you're a high school senior and you were going to go right into the workforce or an apprenticeship or something different, like that's it. You don't, you don't get that experience. And that's really sad to me. What's their workforce going to look like? I mean, you know, there's so much uncertainties right now for these. I mean, again, it's just one more thing that we were talking about before. Uh, we started talking with you about the ripple effect of, you know, there's all these things that we haven't even really started to scratch the surface of. Yeah. Trini, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, and I really appreciate you coming on. You're, uh, you're always a good interview. We've had you on before. So obviously um, I had, we're doing mental health. I'm like, next time I'll like at least brush my hair. I know. I'm, I'm see, I feel terrible. I also, by the way, I've not washed my hair. Like the reason it was in a bun yesterday on TV. I haven't washed it since Monday. So yeah, it makes no, you more real. The first shirt I've worn. <laughs> I've worn, I haven't worn a T I haven't worn a shirt. Like not nah, a shirt, but I wear. Well, I haven't put anything on except for like comfy pants. As my my nephew would call them, soft pants. Yeah. Since this all started. Yeah, it's so the weirdest thing ever. Right? I don't have my mask on, but um, if somebody wants to reach out to you on Twitter, can they do? Uh, it's just at Trenny T R E N N I. Okay, and you'll come back again. Yeah, of course. You okay, great. This is a great discussion. Cool. Thank you, my friend. Sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right. See Absolutely. you, Trenny. Bye. 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 All right, guys, that is our show for this week. We will uh, see you next Wednesday at 11 on Foxborough Cable Access TV and on our Facebook page, Map. All right, guys, have a... Andy, Chris. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Listen, Bye. have a great weekend. Have a nice weekend. We will see you next time on... The Map. The map. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> <laughs>